back. And congratulations. If the NBA on NBC theme song transports you back to a time when basketball was life, this episode is for you. If that tune means nothing to you, though, don't worry and hang tight. Because this episode is about more than just basketball or 1990s nostalgia. It's about what happens when an American cultural story is being written and Jews try to find their place in it. The 1990s were a time of cultural explosion for basketball. There were the six-time NBA champion Chicago Bulls, led by Michael Jordan. There was the 1992 Olympic Dream Team, also led by Michael Jordan. And then there was Space Jam, starring, you guessed it, Michael Jordan. In the 90s, basketball didn't just dominate sports culture. It dominated popular culture. And Michael Jordan was the face of that domination. His introduction at Bulls games, set to the pulsing beats of Sirius by the Alan Parsons Project, was the soundtrack of the decade. and a movement. Everyone wanted to be like Mike, even the Jews. So it's only natural that we would go searching for our own Jewish Jordan, a vessel for our basketball hopes and dreams. What was frankly surprising was that we actually found him. His name was Tamir Goodman. He was a redheaded, kippah-wearing, orthodox kid from suburban Baltimore. And he was going to be our star. He had to be. But just because he wanted it, and just because we wanted it for him and for us, doesn't mean we all got what we thought we deserved. This is The Franchise, Jews, Sports, and America. I'm Meredith Shiner, and this is the story about what happens when we make a young Jew into an idol, against the odds and against his will. It's about what happens when individual dreams collide with collective fantasy. This is not a surface-level where-are-they-now story about Jewish Jordan, the superstar who wasn't. Those stories have been done before. And frankly, they missed the point. What if, instead, we flipped this genre on its head? What if instead of exploring whatever happened to a person after we stopped paying attention, we reconsidered whether we even got his story right when we did know him? The end of the 90s marked a transitional time for basketball. In 1998, the Bulls' dynasty had fallen apart. Michael Jordan had retired, again. And how fans consumed basketball and searched for new stars was dramatically realigning. All of our attention pushed downward to teenagers. Stars like Kobe Bryant had just been drafted straight from high school. Four short years later, ESPN would air the first ever televised broadcast of a high school basketball game, featuring the next presumed superstar, LeBron James. Here comes James leading the Irish out. Are you serious? Basketball fans were scrambling for new talent to obsess over, 
And the exploding internet served up more prospects than ever. For the first time, if a kid played well enough to grab the attention of the local paper, that attention could balloon into national fame. Which brings us to Baltimore and the mid-Atlantic basketball scene. Locals call the area the DMV, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. It's always been a hotbed for basketball talent, from Elgin Baylor to Kevin Durant. And in 1998, just outside Baltimore, in the heavily Jewish suburb of Pikesville, there was a 6'3", 165-pound junior who was starting to make waves. Tamir Goodman was a 16-year-old, Shabbat-observing, Orthodox Jew playing at a tiny private Jewish day school called Talmudical Academy. Welcome back. If you're like most basketball fans, you've probably never heard of Talmudical Academy, which means you've probably never heard of one of this area's emerging stars, Tamir Goodman. His yarmulke stays on even when he's duking opponents out of their sneakers. Tamir! Tamir! The name Tamir Goodman not ringing any bells? Maybe you remember him by his other name, Jewish Jordan. Faith, family, and a wicked jump shot. He's one of the best all-around players, in my opinion, in the country. Tamir, who could dunk a ball when he was in the eighth grade, shines. For this brief window, at the end of the 90s, Jewish Americans of all denominations were transfixed by the Jewish Jordan and how far he might go. Before Tamir arrived, Talmudica would attract 20, maybe 25 people for home games. Now in this dark gym with no bleachers, the school attracts more than 300 fans. And I'm going to try to represent the Jewish people as best as I can, knowing that I'm first or one of one very rare one. Let's pause right here. It's easy to freeze sports icons from our childhoods at the exact age they were when we encountered them. But Tamir Goodman, that optimistic junior you just heard right there, who we saddled with our hopes, he's 40 now. And he takes an almost rabbinical approach to explaining any topic, including, and especially, basketball. Judaism teaches us that every physical thing in the world, there's like a spiritual energy behind it. You know, Hashem didn't just give us basketball for basketball. There's something holy about basketball. That's grown up Tamir. He lives in Jerusalem with his wife, five kids, and dog. He never played a day in the NBA. He's had a lot of time to reflect on the Jewish Jordan craze and how it felt to be the kid who embodied everything we thought a Jewish Jordan should be. When I talked to him a few months ago, he explained what representing the Jewish people truly meant to him back then and how seriously he took that charge. You know, one time someone asked Coach, like, hey, are you going to have a good season this year? And he said, I'll let you know in 30 years. If my guys end up being good husbands to their wife and leaders in their community and good people, then I know we had a good season because it was always about making a Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying God's name through basketball. And I think, like, that's ultimately the highest level of basketball. This stuck with me. It's the point we'll build back to. Back then, we all followed the story of a Jewish basketball player who didn't quite make it, in part because we thought his observant Judaism got in the way of big-time basketball. But for Tamir, the arc was different. Yes, he wanted to be a professional basketball player, but the reason why wasn't just for the fame or for the lifestyle. 
Success for Tamir in 1998 was defined by being a good person now. Back then, he thought basketball was his singular ticket to that righteous life. But the universe had other plans. So let's see if the kid we all knew as Jewish Jordan made a good season of his life. Back to the 90s. Jewish Jordan largely entered our collective consciousness because of the stereotypes of who is good at basketball and who isn't. A skinny Orthodox Jewish kid? Ain't it. Talmudical Academy, or TA, is a tiny, all-boys Jewish private school. At the time Tamir played his first three years of high school basketball there, he was one of only 72 kids enrolled. There wasn't even a dedicated basketball court. It's honestly the last place you would imagine finding a basketball star on the rise. Some personal context here. The highlight of my entire basketball career was as an eighth grader dropping 26 points on Hillel Torah Day School. It was our only guaranteed blowout of the season. So when Tamir dunked under the flickering lights in TA's cafeteria slash gym, he was a revelation. He had a killer jump shot. He had an unparalleled sense of the floor. And word of his unexpected talent started spreading across the DMV. Dave McKenna, longtime DC sports writer, and as he emphasized to me in our interview, a longtime Irish Catholic, saw Tamir play back then. What he describes is a spiritual experience. I was the first person to write about him outside of Baltimore. I was working at the racetrack at Pimlico, and I got a call from a guy saying, Maryland's going to offer a scholarship to an Orthodox Jewish guy. And I went to the Talmudical Academy they were playing that night. It was a Saturday night. And I get goosebumps thinking about it. I had never stumbled upon a subculture like this before. It was the Holtzman multi-purpose room, which was the cafeteria that had baskets on the walls. And there were no grandstands, nowhere to sit. And the, the crowd was outside the building, like to see him. And it was all Orthodox. It was amazing. I mean, he was, he was proof of a higher power to these people. That was the last game he ever played there because they got too big. They were soon selling out. I saw him at Loyola. They sold out the American University gym here for games. I mean, the, every game of his became this incredible showcase. It was, it was an amazing thing. But the first night I saw him was really, I felt really fortunate to get to, to, to you know, I, this was all oh, my eyes were so wide. Uh, just looking at this guy, it was amazing. As TA started selling out college arenas, more reporters took notice. On Christmas Day 1998, the Baltimore Sun ran a huge feature on Tamir. It's the first of many times we're asked to meet Tamir Goodman, rising from the relative obscurity of his tight-knit Orthodox community. The piece questions the hype around Tamir while dialing it up to 11. The name Jewish Jordan first appears in print here. This is what future ESPN reporter Jerry Bembry wrote then in The Sun about Tamir. Colleges know him, with Maryland, Kentucky, and North Carolina among those keeping tabs. The local players know him, often showing up at Talmudical Academy games because they know Goodman will put on a show with his nasty crossover dribble. And his numbers are pretty impressive. 32.5 points, 
eight assists, and 7.7 rebounds through his first eight games. Bembry then quotes a local basketball observer who called into sports radio to compare Tamir to Hall of Famers Pete Maravich and Larry Bird. A bit much for a kid playing just his second year of organized basketball, Bembry muses. He then asks, is Tamir Goodman the real deal? Is he really J.J. the Jewish Jordan? Or is Tamir Goodman simply yet another great white hope? With these questions, the seeds of a Jewish phenomenon were planted on Christmas. Go figure. University of Maryland has been a buzz recently with that gentleman right there, Tamir Goodman. And if you listen Soon, to coaches, one of the best college basketball programs in the country was actively recruiting Tamir. I don't think we're talking red shirt. I don't think we're talking development. I think we're talking a guy who can play right away. At the time, the University of Maryland was a powerhouse. The Terrapins were holding their own in the Atlantic Coast Conference against basketball giants like Duke and North Carolina. Though as a Duke alumna, I'm obligated to state here that Maryland was not our rival. Maryland would win a national championship in just a few years. And not only had they heard of this kid from Talmudical Academy who sat on Shabbat, they wanted him to be their star. In February 1999, Sports Illustrated took Jewish Jordan national. By that point, Tamir had accepted a verbal scholarship offer from Maryland. A verbal offer, of course, is non-binding, but still, it was a big deal. Big enough to get Sports Illustrated's attention at a time when the magazine was the country's most serious arbiter of who mattered in sports. They wrote about Tamir and set off a full-blown frenzy. An 11th grader who just loved to hoop became a household name for Jews across the country. Suddenly, Tamir was everywhere. He was hugging Shaquille O'Neal. Ray Allen was saying he'd go pro. Soon enough, Jewish grade schoolers across the country were assigned that SI story in Hebrew school. I know this because my younger brother was one of them. The zeitgeist had taken Tamir, the high school basketball player, and turned him into something unreachable. Jewish Jordan. Tamir was a unique sports figure for a new generation of American Jews. When we talked about Sandy Koufax in the 1960s in our first episode, we examined how one of history's greatest baseball players leveraged his greatness to assimilate at the highest level of the game. But because of where American Jews ranked in society in the 60s, Sandy's otherness was still a striking feature of his success, even if he wasn't a particularly observant Jew. Tamir had not yet established his greatness in the same way when he entered the national consciousness. Instead, he was on the rise to greatness, and his demonstrative, observant, orthodox Judaism undeniably perpetuated a sense of otherness in the same vein as Sandy's in the 60s. I think this was true both within the basketball world and even among the majority of less observant Jews, who by the 1990s had largely assimilated into American culture. As a 90s kid myself, I'm not sure I ever felt like my Jewishness defined me. But for Tamir, that was always the case. On Shabbat, his father read him bedtime stories about Jewish sports heroes. And Tamir internalized them, like they were parables from the Torah. 
Not because he wanted to be an American sports icon, but because it was important to him to be a Jewish American sports icon. Let me ask you about the first time you met Tamir or became aware of his game and what that was like. Uh, so the first time I actually met him was um, a senior preparing for the uh, Capitol Classic at the time, they called it. They take like the best seniors in the metropolitan D.C., Baltimore area, and we play against some of the best talent nationally. That's former New York Nick Mike Sweetney. I wanted to know what people close to Tamir had witnessed as the hype grew around him and how those who hooped had felt about the hoopla. So I talked to Mike, who came up in the DMV with Tamir, and who now counts Tamir as one of his closest friends. Mike and Tamir met at the prestigious Capital Classic exhibition game on Team DMV versus Team USA. So we were practicing for about a week, and Tamir had a lot of hype around him. Everybody saw the Jim Jordan, all the press clippings, so a lot of the guys were kind of reserved. You know, they didn't, you know, they was like, all right, we want to see what he's about. I didn't see a kid with the keeper that was different and had a lot of hype. I just saw another human being. So I just said, let's go shoot. We just started talking. We just started talking about life, basketball, got to know each other. And um, from there, we kind of just headed off and became like really close friends. Because like for me, it was just, I didn't care about the clippings. I didn't care about that. But, you know, obviously he proved himself there in that practice that he was well worth those uh, articles that was written about him because he uh, taught everybody in that practice a lesson. And then obviously in the game, he had a really good game and, we were down 20. He was like a big part of us coming back and the comeback win. So just a great guy, overall person. So I'm glad that decision for me going to go shoot free throws with him kind of just turned into a lifelong friendship. Let's be honest. Tamir Goodman looked very different than the player that usually is the hype player coming out of Baltimore. Tamir was the only, I'll just say, Jewish and light-skinned person that was there. You know, so everybody else is dark like me, look like me. African-American kids, that's, you know, for me, Tamir was the first Jewish person I've ever saw in my life. As we got older, I got a chance to get to know him and also even learn more about the Jewish culture and, you know, about his religion and things like that. And he learned about mine. We ended up two summers ago spending time in Israel. As soon as I landed, we went to Jerusalem and he took me to the Christian side. I prayed and he just showed me all about the Christian side and you know, we ended up going to the Jewish you know, side. So it was just one of those things where he just showed the person to who he is. Tamir was clearly very good at basketball. He was co-MVP in that Capital Classic game ranked 25th nationally after his junior year. But looking back at the Jewish Jordan craze now, it's obvious Tamir's national fame wasn't just about his skills on the court. It was because of how openly and proudly he wore his Judaism. Tamir's Jewishness is central to his story. It's everything to him. It undoubtedly contributed to his fame but it also created the pressure that started to strip away joy from the game he loved. Tamir Goodman has been forced to grow up rather quickly over the course of the last year, perhaps more than any high school senior should be expected to do. And my schoolwork's going down. I'm losing friends because I'm always doing interviews and I'm always, you know, playing Mr. Celebrity. You know, he's faced with the challenge of balancing a budding basketball career with his orthodox Jewish faith, which does not allow him to play on Friday night and Saturday. In his senior year, Tamir transferred to Tacoma Academy, a mostly black Christian private school. He wanted to grow his game against better competition. Even at that time, most people expected that star high school basketball players would move to better basketball schools. 
But some in Tamir's Orthodox community felt betrayed by his choice. Some turned their backs on him, even after years of claiming him as their celebrity. When my mother went to the kosher market, people would say things to her, like, how dare you send your son to a Christian school? And I know that there were people that did not like what I was doing, and I know that they felt like it wasn't the way that we should be serving Hashem or what a Jewish kid should be doing. I, I know all that. And I was basically asked to leave school because of all that, my senior year of high school. But like for me and my journey with Hashem and what I think Hashem wants me to accomplish in the world, I think I need to try to do good through basketball. And if I feel like Hashem wants me to do it, I'm going to go out there and do it. And what Tamir wanted to do was play Division I college basketball in the basketball-centric ACC as a University of Maryland Terrapin. And then everything started to fall apart. Maryland went back and forth with Tamir about whether he would play on Shabbat and whether they could change their conference schedule around so he wouldn't have to. It all came to a head in a meeting in September 1999 with Tamir, his mom, and the Maryland coaching staff. Tamir came out of the meeting saying there was no way he would go to Maryland. The coaches had effectively said that he'd have to play on Shabbat or ride the bench. So Tamir walked. Instead, he enrolled at Towson University outside Baltimore. Still a Division I program, but certainly not Maryland. Tamir excelled at Towson his freshman year, with a coach and teammates who respected his choice to sit on Shabbat. It's like all the parts of his life started clicking. He hit his stride. He found ease and peace, even as the spotlight on him dimmed. Or maybe because of that. The two moments that I felt the most proud would be when I found out that Towson University was able to change the schedule for me and I'd be able to play Division I basketball on a full athletic scholarship, it was something that was seen as impossible beforehand. And thank God it happened. And then the other time was, even though Towson changed the schedule for me, the biggest game of my life came out on a Friday night. It was a conference semifinal before the big dance. It was, it was postseason already and the coach couldn't change the schedule for me. So I made an announcement that day that I wasn't going to play on Friday night, even though it was the biggest game of my life. And it's hard to even imagine how much media attention happened that Friday, like USA Today, Associated Press, like everywhere. And um, on Friday night, my father came to spend Shabbat with me, which was really special. And we were doing our tefillah, our little prayer, and we we're about to do Kiddush. And we heard a knock on the door. And I don't know, I thought maybe it was a Jewish person. Someone saw us or someone, something about Shabbat related. And I went to open up the door on Friday night and I was completely shocked to see that it was my entire team. They stopped the team bus on the way back to their hotel and they said, hey, Tamir, we just want to let you know that we won the game for you tonight. We won the game for Shabbat. We respect so much that you didn't play tonight. You have a chance to play tomorrow night because we won this for you. I'm forever grateful to my teammates and coaches and, and everyone for that magical moment. But that high would not last long. Towson got a new coach Tamir's sophomore year and the era of good feelings ended suddenly. That season, during a heated post-game exchange in the locker room, Tamir's coach allegedly kicked a chair into his leg in frustration. Tamir left school and never played another college basketball game. After I got assaulted in the locker room my sophomore year, I never got a chance to say bye to my teammates. They just took me to the police station, and that was the last moment I ever played basketball, college basketball. I never went back after that. This was obviously not the ending Tamir wanted. He wouldn't be headed to the NBA. Instead, Tamir eventually started playing professionally in Israel, 
at first for prestigious Maccabi Tel Aviv, and then for a whole host of other teams. A string of debilitating injuries ended his career, and to this day, he's unable to play. Let's be real. Most people had stopped paying attention after Tamir turned down the chance to play at Maryland. For most of us, the pinnacle of Tamir's public life, its biggest and final moment, came when he entered that big pre-college meeting with Maryland as Jewish Jordan and left it as Tamir Goodman, choosing Shabbat over the dream of the ACC. Storytelling in sports is often black and white. How can it not be when you're talking about games that almost always boil down to winners and losers, haves and have-nots? But not every sports story is so simple. In basketball, we have become accustomed to the made-for-TV drama surrounding The Decision, where former high school phenom turned actual superstar LeBron James told us he was taking his talents to South Beach. And maybe you, like me, had a preconceived notion of Tamir's 1999 decision. I thought it was about sacrifice, that this shooting star of a player gave up basketball at the highest level for religion of the most devout order. There was basketball and there was Judaism, and Tamir chose Judaism. The way we as fans understand sports stories is that there are pivotal moments, choices, and sacrifices. And nearly every decision made by an athlete is supposed to advance them up the ladder. We saw Tamir abandoning the climb. But what I've learned is that for Tamir, this thing that we saw as the biggest decision ever was never really a choice. Basketball and God, for Tamir Goodman, do not exist in a binary. They are one. I never asked to be called the Jewish Michael Jordan. However, when that name came and the media made a lot of noise with it, I decided that I would take that attention and try to use it. So while I never, per se, liked the name, once it already came, I tried to do as much good through the name. Honestly, when I first reached out to Tamir, I thought he'd be so bitter about all of this, that he had to choose, that so many people, well-meaning and not, dictated the terms of his life, and his basketball, and his Judaism, at such a young age. And he's just not. Not really. He's a 40-year-old dad in Israel running basketball peace camps for kids, including Ukrainian refugees serving as a kind of Israeli sports ambassador, all while designing new kinds of basketball nets. And he's happy. Sports is such a universal language. I'm an Orthodox Jew that graduated from a Christian school, roomed with a Muslim basketball player in college, and then I go over to Israel and I play with, with people from all over the world. And we never had any problems or any issues with one of my teammates. They've always been my closest friends. Uh, we've accomplished so much good together. And uh, that's just the power of, and beauty of sport. It was hard to break Tamir from his optimism. I mean, just listen to him, a basketball fanatic, answer the simple question of who will win a basketball game. When we met to talk for this podcast, it was on the eve of the 2022 NBA Finals. I thought throwing him the softball question would finally get him to take a swing. I was laughably wrong. 
Celtics Warriors. Who you got? The way I watch a game is really like this old rabbi used to say, you know, we only have one mouth, one nose, but two eyes. Like, why do we have two eyes? We should have probably only had one eye. And he said, your right eye, we need to train ourselves to like always see the positive with our right eye. If you have any type of critique, like it's for yourself, use your left eye for yourself. Everywhere all you go in the world and everything you see, just always see the positive. Whenever I'm watching a game, I only see the positive things. I have so many relationships. Like I, I know like the assistant coach on the Celtics, for example, Tony Dobbins, like I've known him since high school. So it's like, I really want Tony and his staff and everything going on there to like succeed. But then I know like Steph Curry's college coach and he came to Jerusalem and I loved his basketball and what he taught Steph and all that. And I love the way the Warriors play and I love what they represent and I love how they're sharing the ball. So it's like, I can't like ever like go for one side, but I just like see all the positives constantly. Like I love greatness. I love people that are great. I love people that never settle, people that like go after their potential. And I think there's a lot of that going on with the Celtics and Warriors right now. So I, I guess I'm just like crazy positive. I don't know. When in your entire life did you ever hear Michael Jeffrey Jordan share this sort of kumbaya view of basketball? That he would prefer that there are no losers, just winners, and a celebration of everyone's greatness? The answer, of course, is never. For those who don't know, Michael Jordan is notoriously competitive. His competitive drive often made him a bad teammate, and perhaps strangely, one of the pettiest people alive. He's also kind of a jerk. So establishing Tamir as the anti-Jordan, telling you he's optimistic, generous, and kind, is the bare minimum required to reevaluate the story of Jewish Jordan. It's both more and less complicated than that. Tamir sees no distinction between basketball and Judaism. He never has. He genuinely sees basketball as an expression of his faith. For Tamir, the way he tells it, there's no game of basketball, no gift of basketball, no love of basketball, without Hashem, without God. It's been that way from the very beginning. When I was like a little boy on Friday night after the meal, my father, blessed memory, before I'd fall asleep, he would read us stories about Jewish sports heroes. And he did it with so much like love and Jewish pride. And it was like such a beautiful thing that I look forward to every Shabbat with him. And I guess the American culture through those messages and through the books and stories that he used to read was like, I guess, Jewish pride in a really positive American way. And that like America's being really great to Jewish people right now. And our athletes are flourishing and they have a great platform now and they're not backing down from their Judaism. They're proud of their Judaism. And I think that was what he was trying to like relay to us, to thank America on one hand and at the same time, be proud of our culture and represent our culture. Tamir was just trying to emulate the Jewish sports heroes his dad told him about, to write himself into the book. But in order for him to feel like he was part of the cultural story as he understood it, he needed basketball to be an expression of his Judaism in the way that he practiced it. For Tamir, giving up the dream of Maryland wasn't sacrificing basketball for his faith. If he wasn't able to play on his terms, to sit on the Sabbath— basketball wouldn't have been basketball to him. If basketball was next to godliness and the ultimate expression of religion, then they weren't oppositional forces. They were one. We thought Tamir was on this track we all saw, 
a track that ended when he never suited up in the ACC. But Tamir was actually on a wholly different track this entire time, one he's still on today. Because basketball wasn't the ends. It was the means. It really was holy to us. On a physical level, it was holy to us because coach taught us how to cherish it. And it was a multi-purpose room. So when we'd get to practice, it's like we had to clear the tables. There was an event there before. We had to get on our hands and knees and like paint the three-point line on our own or, you know, wash the floor on our own. It was, it was holy to us. But the way that we played basketball, Meredith, it was just that. Coach used to say before the games, don't do anything uh, to embarrass your creator. Don't do anything, you know, to embarrass your school. And we knew, like, that we're here to make a Kiddush Hashem, which is like sanctify God's name through basketball. That, like, that is what this is all about at the end of the day. When Tamir dunked at TA, in that rarefied air so few of us Jews have breathed in, above the rim, the person we know as Jewish Jordan wasn't just touching metal. Tamir was touching God. I know, I know, it's campy, but hear me out. Tamir had not been back to that small multi-purpose room that was used as a gym at TA since 1999. Until a few weeks before we talked. It was the first time he physically returned to the place and the time when there was nothing but his dreams ahead of him. But being back in the old gym also did something unexpected. It reconnected him with his father, who had died in 2011. About a month ago, I went back to the gym for the first time. I just like started crying because I started dunking at um, TA and we had those old, old baskets, like the oldest kind of hoops. And they didn't even have a breakaway rim at the yeshiva, like the rim that breaks away when you dunk. And I'd come home at night and my hands were like gushing blood. And like, I had like a big calluses all over my hand. And my father saw my hands and he's like, hey, I'm gonna go out there and buy you guys some new rims. He got us the rims and um, Coach Katz took a table, folding table. We stood up top of the table and we put the rims in ourselves. Who would have known that like, it's just even a couple months after that, like what our team would do to the world. You know, we were gonna like change the whole world. And when I went back to the gym, it's, I haven't been back there since 1999. Like so much has changed and they painted and it looks completely different, but my dad's rims were still there. So I just got to shoot on them one more time and it was special for me. All this time, we thought Tamir's story ended when he didn't go to Maryland, when all the drama went down at Towson, when he didn't go pro in America. But in that moment, Tamir got what so many people who experience loss don't, the kind of closure that comes from an authentic love and belief cultivated over a lifetime. In that multi-purpose room at TA, a place where Tamir's Judaism and basketball are seamlessly interwoven, the rims were imbued with holiness, sanctity, and the kind of American Jewish sports love Tamir read about with his dad and inherited. From today's vantage point, it's hard to even imagine Tamir in the ACC, donning Terrapin Red and playing on ESPN Primetime. Maybe we would have gotten the Jewish Jordan we wanted, but I'm not sure that alternate reality, 
where Tamir goes to College Park and rides the bench, is better than the reality Tamir got. He may be the most righteous person I've ever met in my life. This is Tamir's high school coach, Harold Katz, the one who told Tamir he'd only know 30 years later if the 1998 Talmudical Academy season was a success. He just lives with joy, and everything he does is with joy. And I look at him, and I just go, when I get older, I want to be that guy. An awesome father, a great husband. He's a leader of our community. There are no denominations to Tamir. You're created by God, whether you're black, white, whatever. That's how this works. I think he was a victim of kind of a lot. Regardless of how that played out, there's not enough to say about it. He's just so, it's a fantastic person. And here's Mike Sweetney, Tamir's friend from the Capital Classic, who now coaches at the Orthodox Jewish Yeshiva University, a job Tamir connected him to and encouraged him to take. The authentic Tamir that you meet, that is really who he is. It's not a gimmick, it's not him being on. He is like that 24-7. When I first met him, you know, I was in high school, he was that same person. Like he said, he's just like so positive. I'm like, back in my mind, I'm like, what's up with this kid? Is he really like this all the time? The years went on, I say, like, I asked him, I said, do you ever have a bad day? Years later, we just now found out, almost 15 years ago, we both were going through depression and anxiety and all types of things. We were talking to each other every day and often on the phone and never knew what the other was going through. He was just more so putting his self aside, just wanted to uplift me. He just a ray of light. Sure, Tamir didn't get to play in the NBA. Heck, with his knees, he can't even join his kids on the court. But the game lives in him. It drives him. He's committed his life to running skills camps for kids, so the love of the game will live in them, too. He brings former NBA players, his friends, to help out at his basketball camps in Israel, where they also get to learn about Judaism. Tamir isn't the Jewish Jordan. He was never trying to be. He doesn't compete. He connects. He's Tamir Goodman, and that's what makes him great. Being famous is a very lonely place. It's a very sad place. It's a very hurtful place. It's not a healthy place, I wouldn't say, especially when you're 16 or 17. The great thing about me is that I grew up with the best family and the best community and the best coach. So I know that if it happened to me when I was 16 and I just would have been a regular person and it was either feeding my ego or feeding just, I say, my love for basketball, I wouldn't have been able to make it. I would, I would have crashed. Um, but because I grew up with a Holocaust survivor in my house, my safta, my grandmother, and because my Judaism always taught me, even at a very young age, like this isn't about me, it's about something bigger than myself. It's about trying to do good through the game. So it allowed me to handle like the really exciting times because I was never satisfied. There's so much more I need to do because this isn't about my own ego. And during the bad times when I was like slipping up or messing up or not playing well, and there's a lot of negativity and a lot of bad things written about me, I was able to try to pick myself up as quickly as possible because I can't feel bad for myself right now. I need to pick myself up. This isn't just about me. It's about something bigger than myself. So the Judaism, the teachings, the house, the coaching, you know, the way that I grew up kind of made it as good as possible for me, even though it didn't meet who I was, who I naturally was on my own, but that's okay. Life isn't, you know, sometimes you don't always get to like <laughs> experience only what you want to experience, you know? 
Looking back on the story of Tamir Goodman, I'm not sure how comfortable I am with the collective pressure Jews placed on him to be Jewish Jordan, to seize on what made him different for our own crazy sports dreams. They were never ours to have. Pinning our hopes on high schoolers to deliver us to our sports promised land is not often a great bet, no matter how you place it. I think about that original splashy story in the Baltimore Sun, the one that started the Jewish Jordan phenomenon, and the questions at the heart of the piece. In 1998, the basketball writer at the Baltimore Sun was asking questions for all of us. Is Tamir Goodman the real deal? Is he really Jewish Jordan? Or is Tamir Goodman simply yet another great white hope? We wanted the immediate gratification of knowing the answers on our terms. But Tamir was playing the long game on his terms, hoping to take his love of basketball and his righteousness as a human and turn it into something new. He was writing his own unique story we couldn't write for him. And maybe he's too humble to declare it out loud. And that's the only reason I'll declare it for him. Tamir Goodman is the real deal. The 1998 Talmudical Academy season was definitely a success. The Franchise is a podcast from Tablet Studios. The show is written and hosted by me, Meredith Shiner. Our executive producers are Josh Cross, Stephanie Butnick, and Liel Leibovitz. The show is produced, engineered, and edited by Josh Cross, Robert Scaramuccia, and Quinn Waller, with help from Ellie Blyer. Recording help in Jerusalem from Zev Levi. Our logo is by Kurt Hoffman. Special thanks to Tablet Magazine and the Tablet Studios team, including Tanya Singer, Courtney Hazlett, Sara Fredman Ader, and Jerome Ruskay, and the Meredith Shiner team of Josh and Carter Zembic. Please rate and review us wherever you can listen to podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this series, tell a friend. You can write to us at franchise at tabletmag.com. And for more information about the show, check out tabletmag.com slash the franchise. For more from Tablet Studios, please visit tabletmag.com slash podcasts.